Welcome to Health Creators, where we discuss new creations in healthcare and building the future of health innovation. This is Liv. I'm a health tech founder in the clinical trial space, and I'm joined here today by Anna Luisa Schafgotch, founder of Impli, building the future of fertility and hormone regulation. I wonder how much Impli has changed since we last spoke, because from my understanding, it was uh, essentially initially a, a implantable technology to help women who suffered from issues with fertility. Yes, and we're still there. It's still a big mission. It's still a big problem. Um, so we kind of fully focused on that um, as, um, as an application just because we saw the need for it. And, mm. um, uh, and there's like loads of things that have driven that decision making. Um, we're almost... Uh, 70% female founder team. Um, And so we all knew how much suffering hormone level monitoring is. Um, And different people, you know, suffer from different things. I suffer from polycystic ovaries, right? Mm. And then so how do I do hormone level monitoring? Doesn't, you know, uh, it doesn't really work. You know, point in time doesn't give you the, the information that you need in order to treat it properly. Same goes with IVF treatments. Um, and in IVF treatments, a woman has to go through monitoring hormone levels every two to three days. Yeah. That's over the period of one to three months, depending on where she starts. And actually one of our advisors decided Mm. to be our advisor. He's a a professor of gynecology. Um, Mm. just because he gets women who've been through 10 plus cycles of IVF and they just don't have any veins anymore, even to monitor. And so um, one of the big things we deliver with this is safety to the patients, yeah. um, more precision in the whole treatment, and um, and obviously convenience for the women themselves. Yeah, I mean, t- can we take it like a couple steps back because I've never been through the IVF process. Mm-hmm. So um, it, for me to wrap my head around it, I'm trying to understand. So so you go in currently. Mm. And essentially, you go through, did you say 10 cycles you can go to? You can up to, well, yeah. more. Some women go through more. It depends really on how successful yeah. the cycles are. It depends on your age. It depends on your physiology. Um, and a cycle is basically where I, I put specific hormones, I inject specific hormones to grow essentially eggs that can then be harvested and used for... Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So we yeah. should use artificial reproductive uh, treatment because that's uh, the a bit broader span to IVF. IVF yeah. is very specific um, and a very specific part of this. But in artificial reproductive treatment, normally you start with, and, and there's also differences in that, mm. normally you start with harvesting eggs. So you okay. give specific drugs to stimulate your egg production, and then at some point you harvest them. Yeah. If you then go through an IVF treatment straight away, then you freeze some of them and one of them you fertilize in, you know, in vitro. Yeah. So, um, in a petri dish ultimately, mm. uh, with the sperm of your partner that gets incubated over time. Yeah. And in that process, your body gets like put ready for receiving that fertilized egg in, yeah. into your uterus again. And so then comes the implantation step where you implant the fertilized embryo into the uterus. And then the uterus has to accept it and has to grow it. 
And, you know, there's huge variations. The human body and I the see. female body is complicated. So, like, all of the steps in this pathway have a failure rate, essentially. And the pregnancy has a failure mm. rate, of course. And so that's why you kind of have to go through these different cycles in order for it to work, because it's probably not... Not all the stars will align. Maybe yeah, the first so fifteen percent success rate. Fifteen percent, depending on your age. Of oh, course. is that so, per cycle? Uh, yeah. That um, no overall for the treatment for you to become for, for okay, you to become pregnant. So, so even if I did ten cycles, it doesn't guarantee that I would no, become pregnant. Women who are forty-two just mm. have very low chances, mm. just because menopause or premenopause has already hit at forty. Um, um, yeah, generally, it depends yeah. on the woman, which is why yeah. I'm saying it depends on the physiology yeah. of the woman. It's not so simple. Yeah. Um, but I think there's average numbers out there. So a woman that's 38 on average goes through about eight cycles. It's it's kind of crazy because um, people always think, okay, like, let's have kids when you're 30-something, right? Yeah. And then um, I meet women and they're like, don't wait till you're 35 because at 35 you are high risk already. Yeah. Yeah. And you get treated as high risk at that point already. And mm. you know, it's quite late in a woman's reproductive cycle. So our yeah. social norms have adapted, but our bodies haven't, right? Yeah. So women are going into careers. That means that, you know, the earliest yeah. that they have made it to some level of career where they're then happy with their output um, and the effort they put into building it mm. is later in their 30s, but then your body isn't ready anymore. And so yeah. it creates this paradigm. And so loads of people are seeking out egg freezing in yeah. the early, late 20s and early 30s. But even mm. if you freeze your eggs, right? Yeah. We still need to get your body primed and all of these steps in order for that egg to be first fertilized. Will it accept the sperm? Will will then will then this fertilized egg be accepted into your body? Will then you be able to carry this pregnancy into term? Right? Absolutely. Or you get a surrogacy, yeah. right? Mm. But uh, there's a huge growing yeah. market. But that might not be what you want. Yeah. Um, of course, at that point, and and it's a difficult decision to make. And women, as well as men, suffer greatly from infertility. Yeah. It's a huge uh, growing problem in the world. So your question is, can we use technology to almost like um, modernize our reproductive cycles in yeah. a way? Right? Or help us guide there, right? Yeah. Um, help us get more data. At the moment, mm. like clinicians go into this blind and why IVF treatments haven't been around for long. It's been the yeah. same, like since the 70s was the first really? IVF baby. So it's been, you know, a short blip in our timeline. So it's not a very, you know... It's a very precise procedure, but there's lots of optimization to do in this. And as more women are doing IVF treatments, it's about a 10% growing market um, per year. It's, it's, you know, it also becomes more necessary to treat them more effectively. Because so. it's potentially dangerous. I think we've spoken about this, right? But mm. in, in this entire cyclical journey, you're basically... Um, putting a lot of concentrated hormones into someone for certain time periods and uh, this is dangerous because hormones are a very fine balance in your body right um, achieving yeah. homeostasis is is a very difficult task for your body and putting that out of whack can cause a lot of downturn effects right yeah, yeah. some of them are totally unspoken about mm. which is um 
sad. I don't see many IVF communities. Uh, it's not a very often spoken about issue. It should be spoken because about Because it's more. still taboo. It's still yeah. taboo, of course. Mm. Um, you know, you're not going to go to your employer and say, I am going through an IVF treatment. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, you, A, you don't know if you're going to be successful or not, mm. and B, it puts your position in, in question. So I know many women who go through their IVF treatments, you know, booking their diaries with coffee breaks, but then how many coffee breaks can you yeah. take in a month, right? <laughs> um, so it's tricky for women to manage and it's still taboo. It's still very much taboo. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's a long process. It's not even mm. a short process. It's about one and a half years. Something. One and a half years um, sure. to, to go through the treatment and um, get to the point where you can have potentially 15% of a chance of having a baby. Yeah, for sure. Like so many women go through this. Some women are extremely lucky and have like first hit for a first chance and it worked. Um, but yeah. um, most don't. And so at the moment, um, uh, I as a female, as a, if I'm going through IVF, go and see the doctor, mm -hmm. you said two, three times a week. And um, at these, at these uh, consultations, they will check my hormone levels to ensure that nothing's going wrong, essentially. Because again, every day I'm injecting myself, pumping myself full of hormones. And it is during these, you know, uh, consultations at that, at that moment, they take my bloods that they know, okay, in this moment, I'm okay. Yeah, and they also take yeah. ultrasounds mm. to check on, on your ovaries if, if, it's, if it's about that. Um, the, and, and you're right with this. Yeah. The big problem at the moment that the IVF market faces, and mm. I hope that we can build some sort of mm. solution for that in the future, is there's no standardization. You'll go, I've, and I've yeah. spoken to over, over 50 clinics. Yeah. Um, you go to one clinic, it's completely different in process really? than when you go to the other clinic. Mm. Um, that creates obviously, you know, huge problems, right? Because you then have no standard process. You then have yeah. uh, quite a lot of risk because some women are very sensitive to hormones. You know, mm. like if you inject them with too much, they overstimulate and that can leave long-term effects that can go up to death, right? Yeah. There's a percentage of women who do die from this. Um, die from IVF? Sure, from, from stimulation of the ovaries. Oh, gosh. Um, so... You know, it's it's not very much talked about, and mm. and of course it's you know a procedure that you choose to do. Um, so, so it's almost like oh, you chose to do it. So I don't. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't go that far. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's but but it can yeah. be dangerous, and um, mm. I don't think there's enough monitoring out there at the moment, because even if you think about it, if you draw blood at what one point in time, that mm. might absolutely not reflect what happens 30 minutes after or an hour after yeah. or two hours after. And so the accuracy that you get with this is not, not enough. Yeah, because hormones can fluctuate um, mm. substantially, right? Yeah, and yeah. very quickly as well. Yeah. They shoot up and then they go down. I mean, we all know it from you know, having our period, <laughs> right? Your hormones change within... Within a 10 day. seconds. Yes. Yeah. And, and you feel it and you're like, oh, here we go. Yeah. And what are like the, the key kind of uh, risks you've seen, right, in, in these women going through IVF? What, what is like the, the number one killer? Uh, killer. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. so overstimulation of 
the ovaries, you mm. know, that is a dangerous thing that can happen. Um, you know, it's about 30% of women who experience it, but it's only about, I think it's 0.1% of women who, you know, die from it. And I think it's mm. 1% of women that have serious effects from it. That's one side, but it's actually the procedure itself. It's psychologically straining because mm. you want to become pregnant and yeah. you have failed pregnancies, right? And failed pregnancies yeah. are sometimes miscarriages. Yeah. And imagine going through eight of those. Um, oh, gosh. And, and yeah. wanting to become pregnant. It's very emotionally straining as well. So um, I think there's a huge thing to be said about mental health in this mm. procedure. Um, and it not being addressed maybe sometimes as good as it should. Yeah. Because it is straining. And, you know, we've all heard of couples, you know, saying we're not going to do this anymore because it's too mentally straining. Mm. And so the idea behind Impli was let's um, create essentially a way that people can standardize the process of IVF. Let's create a way to capture more data about the actual mm. woman. Yeah. Right. So in the IVF process, for example, when it comes around the fertilization of the embryo, you've got real time monitoring of the, the embryos and, you know, and like time series monitoring. That's very mm. advanced technology. But then, you know, nothing about the woman mm. who's actually supposed to you know, carry the baby. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like when we went through this, I said, OK, you know, we could have we could have built a device for diabetes or cardiovascular disease. And I was like, actually, fertility. Because yeah. no one's doing anything about it, but so many women need it. Mm. And IVF, the most out of all, in my opinion. Um, just so we can help them out, deliver more data to them. Yeah. So that they can know where they're at. But also where, so the clinician can know where they're at with, with the woman's, you know, situation at that point. Yeah. And Imbli is... Uh... Is, has it changed or is it the same in terms of it's essentially a little device you put into your hand and it's able to track your hormone Yeah, so it's the upper arm. Upper arm uh, we, right. We're working to deploy in the upper arm because it's a little bit more stable to the body. Mm. Um, it's a small implantable, so similar to glucose monitors or cardiovascular yeah. disease monitors. Mm. Um, it can be read with any smartphone. Yeah, um, scan it, you get the data out, and obviously platform links to the clinic directly um, or the ERP system of the clinic directly. And that data can then be used. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's where we're at. And we're monitoring three different hormones. So, um, Which ones? Um, estradiol, progesterone, and luteinizing hormone. Okay. And by monitoring these hormones, you can basically um, identify when women are at risk from um, basically overstimulation of their ovaries. Um, what else can, what other so, information can you pull from this? For example, yeah. there's quite a lot of evidence and research that um, luteinizing hormone pulsates when the uterus is ready to receive. Ah, and interesting. The problem with pulsating yeah. hormones is like point in time doesn't give us good yes. information, right? Because like it's up yeah. and down, you have no idea. Mm. Um, and these pulsations are very indicative of, of you know, yeah. how to do precision medicine in this, in, in this respect. And that's one of the good things with luteinizing hormone. Progesterone is obviously interesting in the whole cycle, but um, mm. it's all very interesting in the early stages of pregnancy. Women who do suffer from reoccurring miscarriages, so, so who can't keep the 
the child, yeah. um, they often get supplemented with progesterone so that they Interesting. can. Because high progesterone levels indicate pregnancy. And um, mm. being able to monitor that will give um, clinicians a much better approach on how to supplement and how much to supplement for these women. Yeah. And so we cover from the beginning of the cycle to the very end. Interesting. Are there other factors that you're looking at in the future that could also impact um, basically how well women, uh, I want to say adopt, <laughs> but adopt like uh, the child, right? How, how well they take on the, the embryo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so long term, mm. if we think about this long term, we're collecting data sets that have never existed. Mm. Think about overlapping this with, for example, genetic data. Yeah. Like that we can say at the very beginning, before the woman even starts the cycle, Yeah. what the best treatment is for that specific woman. You know, what might be her, you know, the correct dosages that she's supposed to use. And that only happens by overlaying mm. um, phenotypic and genotypic data with one another. Um, so that would be one of the long-term angles that we're hoping to solve so that we can reduce the amounts of cycles that we have for one woman. Interesting. So moving from like the average 10 cycles to something that right. is a little bit more manageable. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. you know, there's loads of companies at the moment working on how can I do, how can I deliver this treatment to women at home so they have more convenience. And is, is there a kind of, um, so when we talk about cycles, do you just repeat the same process 10 times or are we, are we modifying things like for each cycle? So it's like, okay, we tried it, we tried it like, uh, with experiment one <laughs> and these variables did not work. And so now in cycle two, we're going to change. Well. Is there, is there um, an element of that or no? So, yeah. no, there's no standardization. So yeah. uh, that's a very difficult answer to give because mm. probably every clinician works very differently in this space. Okay. And so some might do it that way, some yeah. might do it differently. I also think there's a huge element of the woman in there. Your hormones aren't the same mm. all the time. So one month you might have a 28-day cycle and the next month you might have, True. you know, yeah. like think of it that way, right? So one month you might be really stressed and you, your hormone levels might be totally out of whack, mm. which means supplementing hormones. Yeah. Know, is, yeah. So it's very personalized every single cycle, depending on what happens. So this is almost like a, a way of, of making IVF more precise. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we strive for. Reducing the amounts of cycles, precision IVF, safety for women. You know, I see. let's do this with data. Yeah. We monitor cardiovascular patients. We monitor like who mm. are getting get given drugs, you know. Yeah. Of course they have a much higher risk and you know, it's a very different group of risks. But we should be monitoring these women too. Yeah. Is there a use case for this in contraception down the line? Yeah. Because I, I feel like um just in general, there's not a lot of information about the hormones they give us. Yeah. <laughs> like we get pumped full of like random yeah. hormones, right? And like if we're saying, you know, IVF has negative impacts because essentially you are pumping people full of hormones that wouldn't be there yeah. otherwise. Um, what about the fact that like most women have to take 
hormones on a daily basis, and we don't really know what that does. Absolutely. Right? I mean, yeah. like the use cases beyond IVF are. Mm-hmm. Affecting every single woman, and it it, yeah. it starts with contraception. We give fourteen year old girls yeah. the same dose as we give, you know, grown women mm. at the you know at thirty five. And the question is, how does that you know impact their development? Impact yeah. their development or impact long term? And yeah. these studies have it's really hard to track these things. But mm. hopefully, you know, what we are aiming for is to keep on developing. Our products so that we can help in contraception or the choice yeah. of contraception that we can help in natural pregnancies. So mm. you know, if, if someone just wants to get pregnant and doesn't need to go through an IVF treatment, um, help with polycystic ovaries, for example, um, help with endometriosis, um, help with menopause. That's a huge part that yeah. comes later in life. And I think the most requests we get are from women who are going through menopause yeah. who just ask me, and you know. My hormones are all over the place. I need something that tells me what's happening. Mm, because it's just not knowing that is like the the key problem. You think, uh, and not being able to treat it, right? So yeah. you have hormone replacement treatment for women who are undergoing the menopause, and um, but you don't know which hormones to replace unless you have like an accurate measure. Basically. Yeah, well, yeah. a woman who's premenopausal, her hormones aren't mm. stable. They go up and down and up and down and up and down. So mm. treating it is kind of like a, you know, let's see what this does. So it's still very trial and error today. Um, yeah. Yeah. For menopause, for sure. And obviously women suffer greatly. Mm. Um, and there's been some great exposure now about this. That maybe wasn't was more of a taboo subject in the past, whereas yeah. women speaking up and saying, actually, you know, you know, my kids are finally out of the house. I finally made it into my job. I'm, mm. you know, have a great position. I'm really happy, and all of a sudden, this yeah. happens, <laughs> and I can't sleep anymore, and I, you know, you know, gain weight, and I, you, know, and all the side effects that menopause yeah. produces. Could could Imply be a diagnostic tool? Yeah, we want it to be. Yeah, and what are the barriers to to doing that? Right? We need large clinical trials. Yeah, we need to capture data. Um, we need the right regulatory approvals. Mm. These are huge barriers to overcome. But you know, stepping one step in front of the other, um, and that's the aim at the end. So, but the initial goal is let's get this use case out to IVF clinics. Yes, let's get this use case out to IVF clinics. Let's like establish our market there. And then let's trickle down to everywhere else mm. where we can deliver value with this. Similarly to what diabetic monitors did. They started yeah. with type 1 diabetes. They went to type 2 diabetes. Now they're doing athletes and doing pregnancy. So um, pregnancy diabetes. Um, yeah, because I remember you guys used to have a kind of direct-to-consumer arm, right? Didn't you have a place in short shortage? Yeah, yeah. before the pandemic. That- that you were you were giving women this tool to be able to measure their hormones. No, that oh. wasn't this product. We no. wouldn't have been able to deploy that yeah. um, like that. We had a we had a we had a device that was our kind of prototype devices, mm. um, or we still have it. Um, but COVID happened in between, so we had to pivot. You know, mm. like so many founders, and um, it holds your medical details. So it was the beginning of this platform that we yeah. wanted to advance. Then COVID happened, we had to shut down mm-hmm. everything so we couldn't continue. And we said, let's focus on our end goal. And so we invested. So I see. Goal. So this um, 
this device is a different device. Yeah, yeah, it's a different okay. device. Um, same concept, same mm. way of functioning. Many yeah. things are the same, um, but we, we have a sense of functionality now that um, goes on top of it. I see. And so it wouldn't be essentially available direct to consumer for some time. At the moment, yeah. we're not. We're yeah. not. You know, th thinking about that, we we're working on a B two B two C model because yeah. it, we think that monitoring hormone levels like this needs guidance by a clinician and we are not yet in the position to offer that guidance whereas clinicians who look at the data are and so i strongly suggest that any clinical data like this is mm. actually also analyzed and interpreted by a clinician um, obviously you know maybe in 10 years down the line we'll have strong enough ai tools who can support us in doing that, yeah. but we need a lot of data for that. Um, and so in the beginning, we're sticking to a B2B2C model just to provide safety. Yeah, and they're probably your best users, right? If they're, they're honestly like using it on behalf of the patients in a way, right? Because right yeah. now, like, uh, I guess the way it seems to work is you have, um, you have these like IVF cl clinicians who are like farmers essentially who know the soil of their land, um, but like all the soil is different. Um, so so they're almost like the ones kind of co-building this with you to to make the yeah. the analysis of the data uh, much more useful for the patients, right? Absolutely. Yeah. This goes into mm. clinical trials and um, mm. uh, and and what we're doing on on that front. But um, clinicians are vital in this and this tool arguably is almost more yeah. for the clinician than it is for the woman yeah um right we're making yeah. their job easier we're making their job more accurate mm. we're making you know i don't every clinician comes yeah. in into being a clinician because they want to do good and they want to help yeah. and they want to save people and they want to make people's lives better yeah and we're giving them a tool that allows them to do that yeah. um, compared to what they're doing now do you also see this as a tool that could be used in clinical trials? Um, because I think that's like a very interesting use case, right? So women were actually banned from taking part in clinical research until 1993. And most of the medications we have today are made for white men. Yeah. Uh, so would this be a channel essentially where we can actually um, create medicines for women absolutely and yeah. and you know this is one of our one of the things you know we're mm. working on as well um i think there's a huge clinical trial angle you know it helps us gather the data for going to market but it helps companies yeah. who go through clinical trials to to go to go through that and um in my opinion it's not only for fertility drugs yeah it's actually you know clinical trials in anything if you think about hormones they do govern our own whole life yeah they are you know metabolites of other hormones or other neurotransmitters or other parts yeah. so either testosterone or cortisol or you know um yeah. and then you know there's 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 many and so they tell us a lot and so there's for example studies that have been done in i think it was a study in india mm. um where they found out that you know LH, for example, is linked to PTSD in men. So mm. even for men, there's a huge use case in it yeah. um, because it, it records long-term stress. Yeah, and I guess um, 
I guess if hormonal cycles can tell you how likely you are to adopt the embryo, uh, it probably can tell you how likely you are to be responsive to certain medications, right? When we're talking about life-threatening conditions, sometimes it's not that the medication doesn't have efficacy, it's that um, there's a low adoption rate. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, we can look at many mm. uh, factors of that, right? And it's really important to do more monitoring. And I think in clinical trials, and you'll probably know most, um, you know, lots of tech is starting to be adopted. Mm. And patients are starting to be monitored much more accurately. And precision medicine is coming to the forefront because it actually gives evidence, hey, this drug is actually working or yeah. actually we need, you know, we need to look closer because the safety of this isn't, isn't as accurate as we want it to be. And now that you're like a expert on kind of hormone level data, what do you think are like the key differences you see in maybe um, hormone monitoring for men versus women? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm an expert on hormone level data <laughs> yet, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what we're working towards. Um, yeah. And um, and that's you know the great vision. I think men and women are governed by hormones and you know testosterone for men is maybe the biggest one or there's actually so many nuances to this yeah um i think they're really important to keep track of yeah um i think there's a there's a great um risk with over monitoring so Mm. or monitoring for the wrong reasons and so we're building kind of ethical tools um so that you know you're not going to be suddenly addicted to to tracking uh, your hormones yeah, every five minutes yeah. or that we you know guide people into how many times they look on their phone that's not mm-hmm. the aim um and i think that there's huge to be huge things to be said about men too yeah and i think this is nothing that we're taking lightly and i think you know yes we're focusing on ivf and we're focusing on women with our first product but that doesn't mean that our product is you know, only for women, it is also for men um, and tracking their statuses. And does the the male hormonal cycle tell you anything about fertility in men? Um, I haven't looked into that too much because that's not uh, that's not what we're True. working on right yeah. right now. And I would, you know, the, an, an endocrinologist would be best to comment probably, yeah. but I can only imagine and uh, would be a good question to ask an endocrinologist um, yeah. how how. But um, obviously, hormones also, in, you know also involved in sperm production so Mm, that makes sense and um i think the last time we spoke you were about to raise this round and um when when did it close so last time we spoke i think we were about to raise our like two million pound seed round Mm. and then for many reasons it didn't go as we had hoped it to go um and uh, we ended up taking convertible notes Okay. In, um, and we had a very difficult and challenging time uh, to make that, you know, journey. Um, but yeah. it was the right decision we made in the end um, to go with very trusted investors um, that yeah. are supporting us. And um, we got the convertible notes, and now we're going for a second seed round at the moment. Again, yeah, it's like a yeah, yeah. Um, was just told yesterday this will be the rest of my job. Oh, <laughs> just fundraising. Um, slowly yeah. and low amounts so that you can build your valuation and showcase. Yeah. You know, we've actually made progress. And now, now um, you're raising and you're going to use this to kind of build out um, this second uh, prototype. And uh, I guess there's a lot in, in hardware, 
right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I don't, you know, it's it's funny. There's not many hardware mm. startups. No. Um, and fundraising for hardware is, you know, tough to say the least. Um, and I don't know why, because I'm always saying, well, if you don't have the hardware, you don't have the data. Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah. um, the value lies in the data, you know. Exactly. And um, I don't think that's been very much adopted by the uh, by the by the world of investors. No, but but they're not really thinking about the long term if they're not willing to invest in the hardware. Because if you look at like what's happening to Facebook and Meta, right? Um, I think a lot of people are saying that the only reason we're seeing this massive pivot into Meta was because Apple changed its regulations, meaning that Facebook could no longer collect certain types of data. So they were like, how do we create our own device, our own data sets, right? And ultimately, if, if you are, if you are um, going down the data play, it's always going to be the owner of the hardware. Uh, the controller, the ultimate controller of the the data yeah. that, that wins, right? And and yeah. even that is, in my opinion, an ethical stance, right? In my opinion, the controller of the data should be the individual, mm. and it should be with the individual. And we're working on solutions at the moment, and you know, using blockchain and, and other yeah. technologies on how to make the data that we do collect decentralized, so that mm. it is actually owned by the person, yeah. but we can still use it for bigger analysis, for yeah. the good of everyone, but that we have no control over what that person does with their own data. Yeah. So if they wanted to go and sell it or if they wanted to go and share it, they could do so, yeah. but it would be the ledger would be on their sign. Yeah. And then um, I guess the other the other point we've spoken about before was maybe this like hesitancy of people when it comes to implantable technology, uh, which I always find weird, right? Because I guess women have been using implants since like yeah. the 1980s, right? Even before like the, that. Oh, right. Because no, even the, in the Roman days. Yeah. Really? Yeah, in the Roman days, they would uh, mm. stop women becoming pregnant with uh, pieces of um, copper that they would insert into the cervix. Oh, okay. So, mm. I mean, implantable technology has essentially been around for, yeah. for since the Roman Empire. So, it's, it's a bit odd. I guess because there isn't equivalent to men and most investors are male, maybe they there's like this kind of disconnect. Or are you finding that most of the people and the partners you work with are women? Um, so most of the in investors, mm. and it depends who you speak to, yeah. you know, and we're backed by, you know, great venture fund that's female led. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, most of them that we speak to, especially the bigger ones I find are led by men. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that there's only men in the, in, in the company, yeah. in the company, but like when I look at the partners and the partners that are decision-making partners, they tend to be. Men. So there's um, a kind of education piece to this. Yeah, um, there is with some. So sometimes we get the question like, do women actually need this? And then <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Well, ask so ask a woman and she'll tell you about her hormone levels um, during during yeah. her lifetime. Um, yeah. So we sometimes do get these moments. Thank God they're becoming less and less. Mm. But um, they're, they're sometimes eye opening on where people are 
in this in the state of mind. Um, I find the question always ridiculous because I'm like, okay, you know, if someone would take away your phone tomorrow, how would you feel? And why would you feel an implant is more invasive than your phone? Your phone is already mm. so invasive. We're already so far into this yeah. that, you know, what's the difference? Um, I think people get, you know, a little bit shy around, okay, mm. you know, it's inside my body kind of situation. Um, yeah. But I don't, you know, we've adopted it in, as I said, in diabetes. This whole sports community adopted it through mm. that. If you think about the Abbott Libra devices, yeah. those are microneedles, they're inside of your skin. Um, but why not go down the microneedling approach for Impli? Um, we thought about it. Yeah. Uh, microneedles have uh, upsides and downsides. <laughs> um, yeah. A, these the devices only last for 14 days, I think, at the moment. Okay. As I think yeah. a couple of longer lasting ones out yeah. there. Um, and B, there's an infection risk, and then you have still have I a sticker see. on it, then you have a stigma, right? Like you. Once you recognize the sticker, you're like, oh, it's just doing IVF. Um, oh, right. So we yeah, want so to just privacy element to that. Yeah, yeah, we want to keep it more discreet. And I believe yeah. in the freedom, and the, the, and this might be counterintuitive to how other people think. I believe yeah. in the freedom of humans to do what they want to do in that moment. So yeah. if I want to go and I want to jump into the swimming pool, uh, you know, yeah. I don't want to have to think about is this thing going to like come yeah. off me like an implant True. is totally protected by the yeah. by its own body yeah and that's what makes them great but in cardiovascular disease for example we've yeah. got fully implanted devices they're called eye link devices i eye link eye link for example oh. like there's loads of variants of mm. it um they're monitors for i think it's um they do ecgs yeah for three years straight there's oh cool a billion dollar market yeah um people with arrhythmias and so on. I did them. not know that. Yeah. Um, so it's it's yeah. very adopted. It's just yeah. that the general population isn't yet, maybe sometimes on this, it changed massively over COVID. Mm. In the beginning, we had this argument all the time, like, ooh, no, ooh, implants. And now people are totally fine with it. They're like, yep, totally understand it, get it, no problem. Yeah, I mean, because people don't want to go into the clinics, right? The hospitals like three times a week anymore. I think it mm -hmm. used to be the norm-ish that people like to hang out in hospitals and clinics way more. And now it's like, I don't go unless absolutely necessary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. But yeah. also like people got so used to wearables, right? Mm. Like yeah, I've got the smart ring, right? Mm. Um, yeah people are so used to having their data. So they're like, okay, yeah, I need more data points. Of course I need more data points. And I think they weren't aware before yeah. the pandemic because A, the healthcare awareness wasn't there and B, the need to be healthy wasn't as strong. Yeah, People didn't think, okay, I, you know, preventative health, which is the coin term of this. Mm. People didn't think of like, how can I be healthier? Um, it wasn't there yet. And And this could also be a mechanism of preventative, right? In the future. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, a, a, a big one um, for this because you can monitor and you can mm. intervene much earlier than later. Yeah. Um, and when we think about diets and so on, you mm. know, diets and hormone levels very connected. Um, there's huge things to be done in the nutrition space. But what are like the key key milestones you're gonna hit right after you you get the, money? the rest of the round? Yeah. Um, so we are obviously you know 
we're a hardware company, so mm. IP is a very big issue for us yeah. and it's a very big topic for us. So we're building our portfolio, so it'll go into building our portfolio there. It'll go into um, taking the device that we have now and building a manufacturing cycle through it. Mm. So you can't iterate as fast with hardware because you make something with components where supply chain is important mm. um, that works or doesn't work. And then you have to go back and reiterate it. And when you have to build a manufacturing cycle, so how do you manufacture this very advanced device on mm. a larger scale? Mm. You know, that's another layer of complexity that we have to go through. So our manufacturers are based in Switzerland and we manufacture there. And so it's going through this iterative process together and saying, how do we safely manufacture these devices so that we can go through regulatory compliance? Yeah. And is is the compliance part um, also what you're factoring in now um, in terms of, okay, we're creating a scalable version of this. Um, now we need to get compliance done as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's de we definitely factored in. We've, we've got a, a quite an extensive uh, uh, a model for the future uh, to mm. model how our expenses are going to look and why. Yeah. Um, and we've modeled it out to, I think, seven years. So Seven years. Um, well, yeah. it's, uh, and, and you need to, to a degree, with a hardware device yeah. um, and with a regulated device. Yeah. Um, and you know when these milestones will happen, or you should know at least. <laughs> um, and this funding round will get us to the point where we are submitting for approval, but nice. not where we've granted, been granted approval. So we'd have yeah. to then go for a Series A round where this will take us through granted approval and go to market as well as clinical trials. Yeah. So those are milestones that we're hitting, but um, but it's a journey. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like you've done so much, though, since I've last seen you. Yeah, yeah. and you should come to our labs. We're over in White, yeah, in White City. White City. So yeah. I think it's a part of Imperial. So we span part of our team out of Imperial, and we're nine yeah. people now, of which you know five scientists. So we're mm. you know quite strong on 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 the tech side, but we're literally opposite the Imperial building in White in White City, and that's really helpful. And yeah. it's a place called Scale Space, and it's awesome. And you should come back. So, hundred um, percent. How important was the Imperial Network for you in building out um, Imply? Yeah. I'm yeah. a strange founder from Imperial because I didn't spin out. Right. Mm. I left the. I left Imperial. I went into industry for ten yeah. years, and then I said, "Hey, you know, the world really needs this, and I can't shake it, so I need to do it." Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I did it, um, but. The Imperial Network was important later in the business. You know, mm. when you know when the team joined us, when you know we we span out the IP, when you know we needed support like the labs yeah. and so on. And I think it will become extremely important collaboration for the future and, and where we are. Yeah, just because it's a world-renowned institution, um, they have. Equipment we don't have, you know, we're not going to go buy a one million pound microscope, for example, <laughs> you know, so um, they're and they have a vested interest, obviously, um, to to be successful. Um, and they're good. At, they're good at this. Yeah, I think so. I read a stat that said um, something like 70 percent of Imperial founders 
uh, are still alive after yeah. are still are still alive after three years or something like that, which is like crazy, right? Oh Because yeah. Because in like the the general market of startups, it's usually like a ninety nine percent failure rate, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah obviously yeah. Uh, startup yeah. failure rates. But then I guess yeah. imperial startups are extremely tech driven. And yeah. so they're deep tech products, and you just don't know if it fails <laughs> within so, three years. Yeah. So maybe this, maybe the the question set didn't mm. work for Imperial. Um, whereas, this is true. Um, but the great thing is, you know, they they do spin out deep tech. So I think deep tech is extremely important yeah. for the future of the world. Yeah. Right? No, no one has ever built a revolutionary solution for the world in, you know. 18 months. Yeah. So a VC coming up to me and being yeah. like, oh, why is your go-to-market not 18 months? I'm yeah. like, well, <laughs> it's just not the business we're in. Like, and it's not where you generate yeah. a timestamp in technology. Um, yeah, I guess maybe one of the hardest things about building deep tech is that you have to build first, then yeah. validate, right? Yeah. Um, and, and for you... What what was difficult about that process? Fundraising. Yeah. Mm. Fundraising. We could, you know, I think we could have saved two years because we couldn't fundraise. Mm. Um, maybe, you know, maybe it was the pandemic. So we raised during the pandemic. It was tricky because you couldn't see anyone face to face and we yeah. hadn't raised before. But um, but if I think if fundraising would be a less... Uh, extensive process yeah. um, and a kind of more streamlined process, I think lots of companies in the deep tech space would make advances quicker. Yeah. But I understand, you know, vetting has to be done and so on. But um, yeah, sometimes that, you know, you look at, you, you know, you look at what is being funded in the world and you're like, okay. Um, <laughs> you know. But like FTX. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, that's a whole nother chestnut. <laughs> True. I wish founders would do less, uh, um, less things to make other founders' lives more difficult. More difficult. Yeah, I see what you mean. The same with like Elizabeth Holmes, right? Mm. And and uh, have you ever been compared to her? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, in looks, even, and I was <laughs> like. Oh, right. <laughs> you're like, oh, you look a bit like Elizabeth Holmes. I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh <laughs> what does my looks have to do with my investability? Exactly. Um, but how, how does it make you feel when, when that is like the anchor people, people like to draw, right? It's a yeah. shame. She had an opportunity. Mm. And mm. it didn't go as it, as it did for her. I'm not an expert to say what went on in her situation at all. Um, But in my opinion, there is a dual blame to be had, right? She for sure did wrong, but giving someone 900 million, you know, dollars to do something. At 17, right? Yeah. Like no, that. she no, was 19, a bit, she was 19, a, yeah, yeah, I think she was a bit older when she raised yeah. that amount of money. Yeah. But 900 million without a product in market. Mm. I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, it's not just the founder that's at fault. There are many points mm. where you know, governance was missing. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just unfortunately she, you know, she's the face of this, which was her role. And unfortunately yeah. she's a female, you know, medtech founder. And, and 
Do yeah. you feel like her sentencing was harsh because she was a female, right? Because what was it like seven years, something like eleven, eleven years in in prison um, versus this whole FTX thing? Um, yeah, he goes and speaks on a panel like less than seven days after, right? Yeah, yeah. I think there's nuances to it that are mm. uncomparable. I think one of the yeah. nuances is that she was playing with people's healthcare. True. Yeah, and it's just nothing to be played with. Yeah, but in my opinion, like, where was the governance on that? I mean, even us as a tiny startup have a governance process mm. where I, as a founder, can't make all decisions. It, you know. Yeah. And so, why was that not implemented? And why yeah. was the board not implementing it? Um, mm. And uh, why weren't there any security checks on on this? Um, I don't think that's solely her fault. I think she she got you know she got the brunt of it. Um, mm. uh, but she was playing with people's healthcare as opposed to playing with people's wealth. money. Yes. Um, yeah. Arguably, neither is great. But you know, playing with cancer data and not giving them accurate data is it's very bad. It's very yeah. bad. Um, yeah. And and I think that's why maybe the sentencing was that harsh because. They had to kind of make an example and say, you know, you can't do that. If you're in healthcare, you can't do that. Um, yeah. But it had a backlash. It had a massive backlash uh, on, I think, the ability to fundraise in this space. Mm. Um, as a female founder. As a female yeah. founder. Maybe even more because humans yeah. are humans. And, so, yeah. and decisions on investment are made within, you know, seconds. Yeah. Um, but but it is an interesting topic, right? Because essentially, you're always uh, in healthcare balancing a very fine line of I'm building a startup, you know, and I want to grow fast. Yes. Um, but also, I'm in healthcare, regulatory compliance, you know, and ethics is hugely important. So how do you kind of like balance those two elements? I don't have a problem balancing mm. them. Um I have a problem with the funding side. Yeah. So um, if you go to someone and say, this is, this is our project plan, yeah. and this is what we need to do, and this is how much money we need to raise, yeah. and this is our you know, return on investment, you know, a financial person looks at this and says, you know, how can I reduce time to market? How, you know, and then the pressure mm. comes in. Um, for me, and this is maybe myself, I, you know, I think everyone who runs a business should be financially driven to an element I am. But yeah. what's much more important to me is impact. So mm. what I'm like, what I'm more strongly focused on is how can we deliver the best product to women? So it's, yeah. you know, it's around for longer. And that means, you know, not committing, um, you know, that fraud or crime or mm. whatever, just to cut corners on delivery to market. Um, and yeah, I think maybe but that's it, a it's also a, a different type of product, right? Because when we think about what Holmes was building, it was like accessibility for all. In a way, in IVF, what you really want is a luxury product. It is a very tailored product because IVF still today is mostly only afforded by women of a certain means, right? And so therefore you are already in a very niche high-end market. Oh, I'm uncomparable yeah. to what, mm. what Elizabeth Holmes was working on completely. Yeah. Yeah. Uncomparable to what she was working on. It's just yeah. um, 
Yeah. The fact that she's in the same industry was mm. complicated. Yeah. But um, the teams, you know, like where she's, yeah. what she wanted to do, you know, she had investors that had put 900 million. I mean, how would you know, have to be valued yeah. at 3 billion to raise 900 million? Mm. Like, and then you say, well, it's another uh, three years to market because our regulatory didn't, oh, like our product isn't working. It's a tough yeah. conversation to be had with like investors. It's not an easy one. And I wish that investors were more open to driving for the same output, right? If yeah. uh, everyone was aligned on delivering impact and quality over immediate financial mm. returns, um, it might, we might be in a better place. Yeah, sometimes I think um, with like STEM, it's also that maybe we are not as good at communicating um, like the common denominators, right? Yeah. Because like again, uh, there's there's a there's a, a a huge advantage to actually not understanding, yeah. right? Which is like where she came from, 19, never finished university yeah. science founder. Um, and there's a huge advantage of that, which is I can briefly explain what I'm doing to you in like, in like five words, right? Yeah. Which for someone who's like technical, it's like challenging. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Especially if you're deep, deep inside. I think it needs both. I, I just mm. think that people need to stick to like the, the honesty part of it. Mm. Like that's important. Um, and that there needs to be an openness, right? Someone who invests into med tech startups, they shouldn't go in with, you know, a yeah. expectation that is unrealistic in medtech yeah. quality over everything. Yes. Um, so same in pharma, quality over everything. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're playing with people's lives. It's not, you know, mm. it's much more, you know, than, than in, in other worlds, which is why the return on investment is so high in these yeah. markets. And um, so say you close everything, uh, where do you see yourself in like five years, right? Like what is Impli doing in five years? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully running a large organization, helping millions of women around the world. Um, so on the market in the U.S. Um, is, yeah. is, 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 the, is the timeline then. And the U.S. is our biggest market. And that would still be IVF. Yes, yeah. that would still be yeah. IVF. Hopefully, by that point, we would have also started clinical trials on all other applications with yeah. a wide range of, of, you know, of clinics out there. You know, our aim is to scale. Um, our aim is to deliver real-time medical data to, to you know, to mm. women. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's important for us. But go to market as far as a big, a big moment uh, and, and one to celebrate.